Good morning. Feels like it's been forever since we've been in the book of James, but we are back there this morning uh, going through our sermon series for this year, Steadfast Faith for Trying Times, James chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 19 through 25 this morning. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Here's your introduction to set it up. Two things I want you to take note of before I read the text. When you look at this, this particular text is going to be laden with the Word of God string throughout, perhaps in different words than what you're accustomed to, to hearing it, though. It begins in verse 18, where it talks about the Word of Truth that we covered last time. That Word of Truth is then brought forward as we move to verse 19, and we look through verse 25, and it's, James starts us off, and he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then you're going to see that James mentions additionally in verse 21, the implanted Word, which is also talking about Scripture, which is able to save your souls. And then you're going to note in verses 20 through 25, he talks about the reception of that implanted word. You'll see it there in verse 21, the end, the implanted word, verse 22, doers of the word, verse 23, hearers of the word. And then verse 25, the perfect law and the law of liberty. So here we're going to see the word of God all the way throughout this. We also remember the book of James, we get an imperative about every other verse. And so there's about 50 plus imperatives in the book of James. Here we're going to get several in this particular section of Scripture. In verse 19, know, let, and be are all imperatives. Verse 21, receive with meekness. The implanted word is an imperative. And then in verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. All imperatives. So as we read through this text, take special note of the imperatives. Take special note of where you see the word of God hit. In this text, we're going to talk about two separate points. Number one, to receive with humility the word of God that has been given to us. And then number two, to act without deception. We want to act upon what we've heard and be doers of the word, not hearers only. The hearers are deceived. We don't want to be of those that are deceived, so we want to act without deception. So if you would, as is our custom, please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God as I read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 to you. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Dear Lord, today I come to you with a heavy heart over those who've been affected by Matthew, over the ministry that we do with those in in Haiti and other locations. And Lord, we pray your blessings upon them. Lord, today I pray your blessings upon our students as they are preparing for midterms or papers or things of that nature before fall break, that you would just give them strength and endurance, that you would help to keep them well so that they may study to share themselves approved. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at this text today to catch a glimpse of you, a glimpse of ourselves, to be real with who we are, Lord, to be challenged by the text so that we might allow the implanted word to take root in our hearts, to develop lives that will make us doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. 
Here we see our, our first point is going to come from verses 19 through 21. is to receive with humility. To receive with humility. He starts out here, though, and he says, know this. It's a command. Know this, my beloved brothers. Often in the book of James, when you see my beloved brothers or my brothers, he's transitioning to a new topic. James here is kind of continuing a topic with the word of God, but he's transitioning. He's jumping on us, and he's saying to us, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I was working on this sermon last night. I was thinking about sermon illustrations that perhaps I could use, and last night, the presidential debate was on. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I tweeted out in jest, anybody know of a good illustration in the middle of the debate? I don't think some people got the joke, but... You just look at what happened last night in the debate. You look at what happens in our country. You look at what happens in our lives. It's not an an us and them. You look at what happens with us daily, and you look at this verse, and I've got to confess to you here, I'm not the best person to be up here preaching to you about being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But this is what the text says, and it's my job to make sure that I preach it to you. Perhaps, as some commentators say, James is focused here on hearing the Word of God. He wants us to be quick to listen. And in this point in time, the the Word of God would have been given audibly. And so they were to listen to the Word of God, not to do other things, to hear it as it was spoken to them, as it was read to them, to be quick to listen to it, to be slow to speak, perhaps to be slow to be teachers of the Word, as he talks about elsewhere in James, and then not to be angry. There are others who say, well, this doesn't so much talk about the Word of God as it talks about relationships, because the book of James is all about relationships. And you see that later on in this particular book, and in fact, in verse 26, and then later on in another chapter, he's going to talk about the tongue and how we should bridle the tongue and control the tongue. And one of the ways we can do that is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. And so perhaps he's dealing more in relationships, or perhaps he's dealing a little bit with both. Here we can see it quick to hear. Sayings come to mind like those sayings in society that says you have two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Some of you perhaps have heard that. Being quick to listen in our modern society, I think, is a, it's a skill that many have lost. We think about how we operate in modern society, and I'm as guilty as all of you are, but in modern society, what do we do when we walk around and we go places? You just look at restaurants, you look out everywhere, and you see people looking at devices instead of looking other people in the eye. In fact, employers would tell you that when you interview, one of the skills that we have to develop and that it would, would, would benefit you to develop is the ability to look other people in the eye and to listen and to take in the conversation. When we talk with other people, too often we don't look them in the eye. We don't listen to them. We multitask. You'll see it happen all the time. You meet somebody. They're telling you something that's important, and you're doing something else. You're watching TV. You're, you're, you're hanging out. You're, you're doing something multitasking. You're moving on to the next person. You're not paying them any attention. And the image that we're sending to this other person is there's something more important than you. The ability to be able to look somebody in the eye and be quick to listen and to be slow to speak is an ability here that would benefit us all to develop. Quick to hear, quick to put down the cell phones, quick to look somebody in the eye and concentrate on what they're telling us, to hear their story, and not just to hear their story, but to listen to what they're telling you about their lives. These are skills that I would encourage all of us to demonstrate. It says here to be slow to speak. 
Now, for the introverts in the room, how many introverts do we have? For the introverts in the room, this is an easier command for you than for the extroverts in the room. How many extroverts do we have? Some of you apparently don't know what you are, but... Okay, now there's the perfect difference. The introverts said nothing. The extroverts yelled as they raised their hand because it brings them joy to speak. Look at the text. Now, you can say amen and stuff like that in here. I'm not telling you not to do that. But be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. It's more difficult for some than it is for others. I would say to you that perhaps if James were writing the text today, he might say slow to speak and slow to post. You see it as often as I do. You see it on Instagram. You see it on YouTube. You see it on Snapchat. You see it on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. And we say things and we pop off with things and it It happens especially, I think election seasons bring out the worst in everybody because people want to comment quickly. They don't want to listen. They want to react. They want to say things. And I would say to you, students, I would say to you, faculty and staff, I would say to everyone, be careful what we say. Be careful what we post. Be careful that we're representing the gospel of Jesus Christ well. One of our core values is to love God and others to love others. Be careful that we are loving others well by guarding what we say, that we are quick to listen, but that we are slow to speak that we're slow to post, that we're kind and that we're generous in the things that we are saying. I would also say to you this, the first thing that most employers do when they are looking for someone to to come for an interview is they go to their social media footprint. They go to find out what if they posted on Facebook? What if they posted on YouTube? What does Google say about them? And as they research that information, sometimes I fear that some of you and some of your posts, an employer is going to see that post and it's going to hurt you in an interview. And I know you better than what they know you. And I know that you're a better person than what some of the posts are. So I would just say to you out of love, be cautious what we are posting and what we are saying. All of us be careful with what we say and then slow to anger. Anybody in the room have an anger issue? Nobody wants to admit it? A couple of you? Yep. All right. I, I am a recovering anger-aholic. In my younger days, you could talk to my mom or dad. I, I had a temper. I see it now in the mirror, and I see it in my son, who on the way into the chapel this morning, I found out threw his Hulkbuster Iron Man and broke the arm off of it out of a fit of anger. And when he did, all I could do was smile because of the sermon I'm preaching right now and because of thinking of myself as I have tossed bicycles that have wrecked because it certainly wasn't my fault and I have done things out of a fit of rage. The Lord has been gracious to me and then I'm no longer like that. Don't, I don't want you to, to see it, but, but in, in my past, anger has been something that I've had to overcome and I can prove it to you. I'll never forget it. It was a very important football game, flag football game. It was in an intramural league. It was the second year of seminary training. And there I was, playing linebacker. I watched the quarterback as he took the snap in this championship football game, and he drifted over to his right, to my left. So I began to watch his eyes. As I looked over at the receiver, I saw the receiver running a flag pattern, headed to the corner of the end zone. And I knew immediately from his eyes and from where his shoulders were, that's where he was going. So I began to turn and run, and in my own mind at least, I heard the sounds of the bionic man as I was churning through to track down this ball. He launched the ball up in the air, 
And like a Patriot missile going to intercept, off I went as fast as I possibly could. The corner, the receiver jumped up, the ball was tipped. The ball began to flutter over to the side, and here I come diving in to cradle that ball like a newborn baby. Before I hit, just before I went out of bounds, dropped like a bowling ball before it's time to bounce out of bounds. Interception. I looked up, and when I looked up, I couldn't believe what I saw. I realized this was no ordinary zebra. This was a blind zebra. (laughs) And to educate more accurately in the ways of the Lord, this blind zebra, I began to show him the football and to show him the divot that my knee made in the ground inside of bounds and to show him the football and to show him the divot that my knee made inside out of bounds and to show him the football, which I refused to give up because I was still holding on to it tightly to prove it. I still maintain possession and control. It was a catch. Now I wasn't married at the time, but my wife will tell you that I thoroughly embarrassed her with my activity that day on the field. The next play from scrimmage, I'll never forget it either. I line up, they throw a touchdown pass the opposite corner of the end zone, tie us, we go into overtime and that's the only flag football championship I lost in seminary intramurals. And it's that referee's fault. (laughs) I was not slow to speak. I was not slow to be angry. But you know what I had to do the next day, the next week? You know what I lost sleep over? I had to apologize to somebody because I got mad over what? A very important intramural flag football championship that matters to nobody at this point in time in my life. Can I encourage you? Can I challenge you to make sure that in relationships you learn this lesson of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? Think about it. In marriage, in relationships with the opposite sex, if you are able to listen to what they're trying to say to you, slow to speak, slow to anger, it will benefit you greatly in life, in administration, at work, in leading, in jobs with others as you interact with others and they tell you something, slow to speak, quit to listen, slow to anger will help you in life. When you hear something and you immediately begin to be angry, you think about the Proverbs and the Proverbs says, one man's story sounds right till you hear another and you wait and you listen and you suspend judgment. You are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It will serve you well in life. You think about parents and children, whether you are the child or whether you are the parent, to understand, to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. It will help you in life. You think about politics and those with whom we disagree. You think about race relations in our country. You think about theological disagreements in our country. If we were quicker to be less angry, to be less out to speak, to listen to somebody else more, to understand what is it that you have gone through. I may not agree with you. I may not agree with your position, but can I listen to why you believe what you believe? Can I identify then the main root worldview problems without becoming angry? Can I listen? Can I be slow to speak? Can I be slow to grow angry? That is loving others as ourselves. What do we want others to do with us? Listen to what I have to say first. Process that. Hear my heart. Be slow to speak. Don't interrupt me. Let me talk. Don't be quick to be angry and escalate a situation. Friends, to love others well, we should listen to James here where he says, we know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be slow to speak, be quick to hear, and be slow to be angry. He continues on. He tells us, 
The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We think it does. Sometimes we think in our righteous indignation that we are doing God's will and it produces the righteousness of God. But here it says the anger of man and our fallenness and our sinfulness and our lack of knowledge, our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It is not a righteous action of God for us to become the judge, to become angry in our own minds. Therefore, he says, put away all filthiness. Here the image that he wants you to get is kind of the image of somebody who's taken off dirty clothes. All throughout the New Testament, there's imagery of those who will take off the dirty clothes and who will put on the righteousness of Christ. Anybody ever been in the mud before? You go out and you play army or you make mud pies or I don't know what you're doing. It doesn't really matter, but you get in the mud. You come home and maybe you were younger and you came home and mom saw you coming in the door and as you were coming in the door, you were covered head to toe in dirt and mud and it was nasty and mom looked at you and mom said, you're not coming in my house looking like that. Anybody ever been there? Did your mom ever get the water hose and spray you off while you were on the outside to clean you off? See, now they even build mud rooms into the houses so that you have the mud room so that you can come inside and not be indecently exposed outside, but you can come inside and take the clothes off and keep them in the mud room. That's what the text is talking about. He's saying that when we come to the text of Scripture, that when we come to God, we are filthy, rotten sinners, that we are so covered with our own deceitful, wicked hearts that we can't even know it, and that we have to put off all filthiness. We have to take off the dirty clothes, that we have to, with humility, recognize who we are and repent before God, put away that filthiness, that rampant wickedness. And here, as we put away the filthiness and rampant wickedness, we receive with meekness. We receive with humility the word of God that's implanted into our lives. This word filthiness, it has its root in a word that actually refers to wax like gets in your ears, earwax. So here, John MacArthur makes the point that perhaps he's saying, clean out your earwax so that you can hear a little better, so that you could be a better doer of the word. Cleanse the filthiness off of you. Get the, has anybody ever told you get the wax out of your ears so you could hear what I'm saying to you? You ever had somebody say that? I've had somebody say that to me before. And here he's saying to you, get rid of the filthiness, put it away, the rampant wickedness, receive with humility, receive with meekness, receive, here's a command, the implanted word, a word image, the word that's implanted to us as though we are in a garden and the word is going to be planted and we are to keep the weeds out and we're to let that word in our hearts because we've created a fertile soil in our hearts. We have with meekness and humility repented, removed the, the wickedness, removed the filthiness. And so here we have come to the word of God with repentance and with faith. And here we receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say, earn your way to get to heaven. He says, receive, which is passive. Receive the word of God, which is implanted in you. The word of God, which is able to save your souls. So as we move in chapter two to other discussions about how works and how faith plays out, remember earlier on in verse 18, where it talked about the word of truth, which was sent of God's own will. Now we see here that the word is able to save our souls. It is God's word. It is the gospel that is able to do the saving. Here we see it. He moves to the second part in verse 22. Acting without deception, it says, but be as a command doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Perhaps you're here this morning and you wonder, am I really a follower of Christ? Do I really know Jesus? Do I really have a faith like I see with some others who have faith? How do you examine your heart? How do you know? Here James says, He's Pastor James. He looks at you and he says to you, here's the example. If you hear the word of God and you do nothing with it, then you're deceiving yourself. 
He's going to tell us later on in this, in this book that even the demons believe and tremble, but belief, knowing what the words say, the knowledge in the head is not enough. He says, how do I test myself? How do I know whether I'm deceived? He tells us, don't be deceived. If you hear the word and you act upon it and you do things, if you have a faith that leads to works, then that faith is a genuine faith. That faith is not deceptive. But if you hear the word of God and it never changes you, if you hear what the Bible says, if you read the Bible and it never reads you, if you read the Bible and there's never any life change in there, he says, don't be deceived. He says here, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and he forgets what he was once like. I try to think of a good illustration of this. You know what we do most of the time in the morning? We get up, we we get ready, we look in the mirror. We all have mirrors. We look at those mirrors, we comb our hair. Some of us are more meticulous than others about making sure that every hair is in the right place. We brush our teeth uh, we look to make sure the sleep's out of our eyes, and that is unless you have an eight o'clock class, and you make sure that you're all set and ready to go, right? Anybody with me? You do this? Raise your hand if you do this. I'm not the only one in the room, right? All right. So I tried to think, when is a time I've looked in the mirror and gone away and didn't remember? Did anybody have acne in high school? Yep, yep. I had, I had acne in high school. I know it's a pretty disgusting thought to think about this early in the morning, but I did. And so... I remember this, this one morning in particular, I got up, I looked in the mirror, and there was this, this mountain growing on my face. It, it looked like a volcano getting ready to erupt, but it wasn't ready. It's disgusting. Have I grossed you out enough? And I used to have this stuff, acne cover. Anybody ever used acne cover? Am I the only vain person in the room? I'm the only vain person in the room. Nobody else is going to admit it. Thank you. Leaving me out here on an island. So I was out. I didn't have any, right? There was none. And so I, I had read a trick that you could put toothpaste on a zit and it would dry it out. Anybody ever heard that? You've done it too. You just not want to admit it, all right? So I grabbed the toothpaste and, and dabbled it on this growing mountain on the side of my face and thought to myself, maybe that'll dry it out and shrink a little bit before I get to school and I'll just leave it there and it'll be fine. So I go away. I go eat breakfast. I get in the car. I drive to school. I pull into the school parking lot. Guess what I forget to do? I walk into school, people begin to look, people begin to talk, but apparently they don't like me enough to come talk to me, they just begin to talk to others. What do you think they're talking about? This big mountain of white stuff that's highlighting the other mountain underneath it. And so eventually, about, I don't know, second or third period of high school, I figure out exactly what's happening when I go to the restroom and look in the mirror to see what I had forgotten the last time I had looked in the mirror. And I had to get rid of the toothpaste. Anybody ever done that? Or am I the only one that dumb in the room? Come on now. You're just leaving me hanging today. All right. I'm going to go home after this is over. Here's what the text is saying to us. You look in the mirror. You see your face. You go away. You forget it. Is that what you do when you read the Word of God? 
Because when we look in a mirror, we see our natural face is what the text says. But when we look in the Word of God, we see our spiritual face. We see spiritually who we really are. It reads us. It tells us about how wicked our hearts are. It tells us about how bad our thoughts are. It tells us that we are sinners in need of salvation by a gracious and loving God. And if we look at what the text says about us and then we walk away and forget, then we are hearers. We are not doers. When we read this text, we should receive it with humility, with meekness. We should say, Lord, I know I'm not worthy of the grace you've given me. Lord, help me to do better. We receive it with that meekness because we look and we see that we need help. Here the text says to us, it's the person that looks in the mirror. He forgets. But then it says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, looks into is interesting here. Because looks into actually means to stoop down and to look into intently. Is that how you read the Bible? This past couple of months or a couple of weeks at our house, we have we have looked at monarch butterflies. It, it was the season to have the monarch butterflies, and so we looked into them. We had a butterfly habitat at our house, and, and we had uh, learned about the eggs, and then we learned about the larva or the caterpillar stage, and then we learned about the pupa or the chrysalis stage where the pupa would grow, and we had three of them in our, in our monarch butterfly habitat, and we would watch them, and we would stoop down, actually, so you could get a better view of the pupa to see when it was turning black, to see when you could see the wings in that transformation, that metamorphosis that would take place. And with excitement every day, as you would see it a little bit darker and a little bit darker, we would look into it. We learned more about monarch butterflies because we were looking into them in that time. And because my daughter was really interested in this and we had some friends that knew a lot about it. We learned about the stages of monarch butterflies and how this particular group born in the fall or towards the winter is now going to fly all the way down to central Mexico over 2,000 miles. And their subsequent generations are going to work their way back up here so that next fall it will happen all over again and they will fly. 2,000 miles back down to central Mexico. Now, if that doesn't display the glory of God, I don't know what does. That these butterflies that were just hatched, that were just, that's not the right word, but that were just whatever, are going to fly to Mexico and they know how to get there. They don't have a GPS. They have God's intelligent design impressed upon their life. We looked into them and we learned all these things about monarch butterflies. So that now, when I see a butterfly, I don't just look at it and go, oh, how pretty. But I look at a monarch butterfly and I say, what an amazing creation of God. Do you look at God's word and do you read God's word just because you know you're supposed to read God's word? So you look at it for five minutes, you check the box and you run off. Do you read God's word while you're doing other things, while you're watching ESPN on TV in the background, while you're listening to music in your headphones? Do you check the box just because you know you're supposed to, just because it helps you to feel better about yourself? If that's how you look at God's word, that's not going to sustain you for the rest of your life. Here it says we are to look into, we are to stoop down, we are to dig into the law of liberty. And immediately we think, wait a second, law of liberty just sounds, it sounds awkward, it sounds backward to us. There's a law? that brings liberty, we think of law as constricting. But here what the Bible is telling us is that there is great liberty found within the law of Jesus Christ and that when we are outside of God's law, we are actually enslaved to our own sinful behavior. It is the law, it is the grace of the gospel that frees us so that we have the law of liberty and we should look into it, we should dig into it, we should dive deep, we should read it, we should study it, we should meditate on it, we should memorize it, we should internalize it into our lives, not so that we just know the words, but so that we act differently, so that we are doers of the word and not just hearers only. This is what the text is saying to us. Look into the perfect law of liberty, examine it, and persevere. 
Being no hearer who forgets, but being a doer. Being someone who acts. Someone who acts and is not deceived. I'm reminded that much of James comes from the Sermon on the Mount. James frequently refers back to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know exactly how or why, but he does. There's a lot of correlation. In this particular text, I can't help but think about Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus is talking at this point, and he says to them, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I think this is what James is telling us here. Don't be deceived. If you are hearing the word of God, if you are listening, but you are not acting, you are the foolish man building a house upon the sand and great is going to be the fall of it. But if you're looking intently into the law of liberty, if you are a person who receives the word implanted into your heart with meekness, you study that word, you allow that word to change your behavior so that your activity today is not your activity 10 years ago, that you have growth in your life, that you are someone who hears and someone who does. The text is saying to us that you are the wise man, you are the wise person, you are building your house on the rock and that will change your life forever. Can I challenge you? Can I encourage you to make sure that you are the wise, that you are the ones who are receiving the word of God with meekness, that you are acting upon the word of God, not just hearing it. In our society, we see a lot of people that call themselves believers, that call themselves Christians. We criticize the church often. And why do we criticize the church? Why do we criticize Christianity in general? Because we look out and we see hypocrites. We look out and we see people that should know better. They're hearing things, they're reading things, but they're not doing them. Let us be a generation that reads the word and we read it with meekness. We know who we are, but we know how great he is. May we be a generation that doesn't compromise, but a generation that looks at the word and allows it to change us. May we be a generation that considers others before ourselves. May we be a generation that reaches out with compassion to the poor, to those who are in poverty, to those who are homeless, but we also reach out with them with a gospel that changes lives. May we reach out and do things rather than just hearing it and sitting back. May we not be a group that wastes our lives by being listeners, but not doers. But may we hear, may we read, may we look, and may we act so that we can change the world for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cedarville, we have it good. We have a great and glorious God. We have a phenomenal community that loves one another well, that can come together to worship God well. Let us not waste these days. Let us not waste this opportunity. Let us make sure that in our lives, we're going to be those who listen. And we're going to be those who act. Not for our glory, but for His glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, even in our weakness, to listen well, to act well. Lord, there are times when we just grow comfortable in our environment. There are times where we grow 
stale in our walk with you. There are times where we don't look into your word with great scrutiny, Lord, but we just read it in a cursory fashion. Lord, help us to have a passion for your word. Help us to have a desire to love you more, to grow in godliness. Lord, help us to be those who will act upon the things that we read. Help us not to be those who simply hear and go away and forget. But Lord, help us to look at your word, to allow it to change our lives and to do things for your honor, for your glory. Lord, this is our prayer as we need your grace. As we look to the cross, as we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.